Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Because He Lives. This series digs deep into just how much Jesus' death on the cross impacts us in the best way. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. We're glad that you're here in the house as well as joining us online. And and before I get into the sermon, I just want to say thank you. You know, it was just two weeks ago that over the Easter weekend from Good Friday through the Easter egg hunt through Sunday morning uh, that we had uh, almost a thousand people on our campus and in the building. And I want to say thank you to you for your generosity because for that huge weekend where we reached so many people, uh, I know people gave their time to pray. I know people gave their time to, to fill 18,000 Easter eggs to come and set them out. And, and I just am grateful for your generosity, for the way that you're willing to serve, the way you're willing to give your time, your talent, and your treasure. And we're just thankful for your generosity over and over. And, and I think about a conversation I had a few weeks ago, because as you know, we don't uh, have an offering moment in our service. And somebody said, well, how do I give at Valley Brook? Uh, well, very simply, uh, actually in the seat back pocket in front of you, there's a QR code on a, a long piece of uh, cardboard there that you can uh, scan, and it'll take you to our website, and you can find all the ways to give, but you can give online. We have offering boxes mounted in the walls where you can give here, or you, you can mail it in, and, and I will say this, we're grateful when you sense God's leading for you to support this ministry, because it allows us to take the good news of Jesus here and further out and around the world. And so I'm just grateful for all of your generosity. Now let me just pray as we dive into this message. Father, as we celebrate every weekend that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we celebrate that again today. Lord, because he lives, our lives are different. So be with us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at this truth that because Jesus lives, things are different. And because Jesus lives, today we're looking at the truth that this life, our lives on this earth, are not the end. You know, it's not unusual, I think, to hear somebody say that they're afraid of death. But recently in my reading, I heard about a man who was so afraid of death that he actually built his own special coffin. That's true. His name was Timothy Smith. He was a medical doctor. He's from New Haven, Vermont. And he lived in the 1800s. And uh, he suffered from taphophobia, which is the fear of being buried alive. Now, apparently in the 1800s, that was a big deal because sometimes people uh, apparently were buried alive uh, because they didn't realize that they weren't actually dead. But, but I learned this, that, that prior to his death, he designed his own elaborate coffin, his own resting place. He, he made sure that the grave would be dug to six feet deep and that it would be concreted all the way around and that it would have a clear, solid shaft. And in that shaft, it would go up to the surface and there was a 14 by 14 window Uh, And there was a breathing tube that went down, and there was also a string with a bell on it. So just in case he was buried alive, he could breathe, and he could ring that bell to alert somebody 
uh, that he had not died indeed. Now, if you don't believe me, you can take a road trip. You can go up to Evergreen Cemetery in New Haven, Vermont, and you can find his grave, and you'll see that 14 by 14 plate glass. I guess it's not plate glass, but that window. And unfortunately, you can't really see through it because over the decades, the condensation has made it unable to see down there. But, you know, here's the good news for followers of Jesus. Because Jesus lives, we don't have to fear death. This life that we live on this earth is not the end. Yes, we will all face death. Our bodies won't last forever. But we have the promise of eternal life. So this morning, we're going to look at forgiveness. We're going to look at freedom. And we're going to look at eternal life. So first, let's talk about this. Because he lives, we can be forgiven. Pastor and author J.D. Greer writes about why we need forgiveness and why, it's re- why it required the death of Jesus. He tells the story. He says, I-, I remember talking to a Muslim person who was asking me about Jesus when I lived in Southeast Asia. And he said, why would God need somebody to die in order to forgive sin? And so J.D. said, well, if you sinned against me and I wanted to forgive you, I wouldn't make you, uh, I wouldn't, this man said, if you sinned against me and I wanted you to forgive me, I, I wouldn't kill something. I wouldn't kill an animal before I forgave you. So why would God require some kind of sacrifice for you to be forgiven? And J.D. says, this is how I answered. Choosing to forgive somebody means that you're agreeing to absorb the cost of the injustice that they've done to you. He said, imagine you stole my car and you wrecked it and you don't have insurance or the money to pay for it. What are your choices? He said, I could make you pay. I could haul you before a judge and request a court-mandated payment plan. And if I owned a Ferrari, a million and a half dollar Ferrari, you'd never be able to pay it off. You'd always be in my debt. But he goes on, he goes, I have another choice. I could forgive you. What am I choosing to do if I say I forgive you? He says, I'm choosing to absorb the cost of your wrong against me. I'll have to pay the price of having the car fixed. You have no debt to pay, not because there was nothing to pay, but because I paid it all. Not only that, I'm choosing to absorb the pain of your treatment of me. I'm choosing to give you friendship and acceptance, even though you deserve the opposite. This is always how forgiveness works, he continues. It comes at a cost. If you forgive someone, you bear the cost rather than insisting that the wrongdoer does, and that is what Jesus did. The mighty God, that's what he was doing when he came to earth and he lived as a human, and he died a criminal's death on a wooden cross to absorb our guilt. Now, that illustrates a core truth about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus paid for our forgiveness. If you remember in the Gospels at the Last Supper, Jesus uses the symbolism of wine that was used in the Passover celebration to teach a new truth that foreshadowed his death on the cross. Taking the cup of wine, he said this. He goes, this is my blood, And with it, God makes his agreement with you. It will be poured out so that many people will have their sins. 
forgiven. Obviously, he's foreshadowing his death on the cross. And he does this to tell us about the forgiveness that God is going to give the world through Jesus because sin offends God. And sin separates us from God. And Jesus knew that a price, a debt, had to be paid for our sins. And Jesus understood that this was God the Father's plan to redeem humanity by paying the penalty for our sins, a penalty that was too great for any of us to pay. Now, to receive that forgiveness means we need to recognize something. We need to recognize that we are sinners, that we make mistakes, that we offend God, and because of that, we need to be forgiven. And that means we have to, we must admit our own guilt. And the Bible tells us that confession is how we access forgiveness. It's it's how we ask God to forgive us. Look at what the Bible says. If we say that we have not sinned, we are fooling ourselves. And the truth isn't in our hearts. But if we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. Because Jesus lives, we can be forgiven. But we we have to own our own sinfulness. We have to admit that we are sinners. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. He was a champion for the great commission that Jesus gives all of his followers. He was a, a prolific evangelist. And yet, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. He owned his sinfulness. And he confessed his sin, and he experienced the relief and the joy of forgiveness that that King David wrote about in the Psalms. David wrote this, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Now, it's important for us to understand that being a follower of Jesus is not just about what Jesus can do for us. Being a Christ follower means that we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of something in which we're supposed to live in relationship with others. In fact, live out what we believe and what we've committed to with Jesus. That means being forgiven means we must also forgive others. And Jesus taught us that. He said that we are forgiven by God, and if we're forgiven by God, we're supposed to forgive those who sin against us. In fact, when he taught us that in the teaching which gave us the Lord's Prayer, he concludes with this statement. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others... Your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, as people who have been forgiven, we have a spiritual obligation to forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven. Doesn't mean it will always be easy when someone offends you in a heinous way, but we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. So, because he lives, we've been forgiven, and our life is not the end, and because it's not the end, We have a bigger purpose to further the kingdom of God. And we can do that 
by forgiving others as we've been forgiven, but let's go deeper in what the meaning of forgiveness tells us. And it tells us that because Jesus lives, we are free. Specifically, we are free, the Bible tells us, from the power of sin and death. Let me read to you what scripture says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, through our faith in Jesus and through his forgiveness of our sins, the Spirit of God has set us free from the power of sin. Sin can no longer separate us from God. We are free to know and grow with God, and we're free from the power of sin that leads to death, which before this could separate us from God forever. Now, the Apostle Paul is showing us the contrast between the old law and the old covenant and the new law and the new covenant. And one scholar writes this, the old law is the power of sin that, is in, that inevitably results in death. The new law, which sets the believer free from the power of the old, is the law of the Spirit. The new law of the Spirit says the that only by living in union with Christ Jesus can believers break the power of sin in their lives. It is the Spirit of God who provides victory, and that Spirit is the possession of every true child of God. So believing in Jesus and accepting his forgiveness for our sins brings us into a new covenant relationship with God. A covenant is a promise. So it's a new relationship where we promise to believe in and follow Jesus and accept his forgiveness for us, and he promised us eternal life and his spirit to be with us. Paul calls the law of the spirit this because when we believe in Jesus and we step into that new covenant relationship, God places his spirit in us to help us follow Jesus and his teaching. And again, like being forgiven brings us into an obligation to use our experience of forgiveness to remind, uh, to remind us that we need to forgive others, our freedom brings with it an obligation to use our freedom for God's purposes because we're part of something bigger, part of the body of Christ. And so specifically, we are free to love like God loves. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as followers of Jesus, we have been set free from the power of sin and we must use that freedom that we've been given to fulfill God's mission. So Paul tells us, don't use that freedom that you've been given for selfish purposes. Don't use it to indulge yourself. 
but rather use that freedom you've been given to serve one another in love and fulfill Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Peter calls that the royal law because our king has given it to us. So because Jesus lives, we're free. But this life is not the end. And because it's not the end, we have a bigger purpose to further the kingdom of God. And we can do that by using our freedom to serve others in love. And because he lives, we know we have the promise of eternal life. That means because Jesus lives, because he rose from the dead, this life is not the end for everyone who believes in Jesus. And that, that gives hope to everyone that no matter how hard or how good life is, this life is not the end. The best is yet to come. And that life that is to come is eternal life. And it begins when we believe in Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us something that we all know if we've studied the Bible. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, our eternal destination is sealed. It's guaranteed when we believe in Jesus. But knowing this truth is life-changing, and it's especially life-changing for someone who's had a hard life. Pamela Perello had a hard life. She grew up in poverty, feeling uncared for by her mother. She was molested by her father. She spent three years in foster care until she ran away with a man and became addicted to drugs. And the two of them eventually killed another man for his money. She was arrested, she was tried, she was convicted, and she was sentenced to death by lethal injection. In her own words, she writes, while I lived in Houston before my execution, a woman involved in prison ministry visited she talked about Christ and his path to forgiveness. And I recited the sinner's prayer. And after 24 years of being tossed around like a dry chunk of dirt, God poured his waters of life into me and began molding me for his purpose. And she continued this and said, when I first accepted Jesus, I felt a change. But I found it hard to believe the change was for real. How could God ever forgive me for the horrible crime I had committed? She says, my soul was in torment. But while she was incarcerated, she met another woman who was on death row for a brutal double homicide. And she was amazed as she watched this woman come to faith in Christ and be dramatically changed by him. And she said, I knew then that in Christ, God can forgive anyone, no matter how severe their transgressions. In the year 2000, Pam's sentence was reduced from death to life in prison. And today she tells us that after nearly 40 years of incarceration, I give thanks for God, how God directed my path to salvation. As grateful as I am to have escaped death row, I'm a thousand times more grateful or the promise of eternal life. That's what it means to know the truth. That because Jesus lives, this life is not the end if we believe in him. So what if we've had a, a good life compared to someone like Pam who's had a bad life? 
Well, knowing this truth is life-changing for you too. No matter how great life is, no matter how much money you have, how many things you have in this life, it doesn't matter. You can't take those things with you at the end of life. Your diplomas, your photos, your jewelry, your bank accounts will all stay behind when you're gone. Some of those things may pass on to others. Some of those things may end up in the dumpster. But 100% of those things that made you feel like your life was good will not go with you when you die. Actress Candace Bergen is famous and she's wealthy. She's a millionaire many times over. But when she was asked in an interview to name three wishes, she responded with this question. Three wishes aside from eternal life? In other words, she had everything she wants in life. She had a good life. But what she really wanted to know was how to have eternal life. Receiving the promise of eternal life begins when we believe in Jesus. But, but I need to be clear. Believing in Jesus is not just saying, I believe. It's not just praying a prayer one time and then going about life as usual. As I said earlier, John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the word believe means more than just giving mental acknowledgement to believing when you study the Greek word for believe, you discover it carries with it the idea of committing oneself to the object of one's belief. In other words, committing yourself to believing in and following Jesus and his teaching. So you could interpret John 3.16 as saying, whoever commits themselves to him shall not perish but have eternal life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the great theologian who was a martyr for his faith, called out Christians who said they believed in Jesus but never committed to following him. He called this kind of Christianity cheap grace. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, this is what he writes. Cheap grace is that grace which we bestow on ourselves Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It is baptism without the discipline of community. It is the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It is absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. What he's driving at is this, that believing in Jesus means we'll follow him and adopt his teaching for us. Time and again, when we read the Gospels, Jesus calls men and women to follow him. He, he's not talking about mental acknowledgement or, or saying a quick prayer after which nothing changes. He's talking about a commitment. He makes it clear that following him will require a commitment. Yes, a hard and sometimes challenging commitment. He says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange 
for their soul. When a person came to Jesus and wanted to follow him and receive eternal life, he was very clear. He asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life, to live forever? And Jesus asked him what was written in the scriptures. And that person responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus answered, you've given the right answer. If you do this, you'll have eternal life. Now, I want to make sure you understand what Jesus is saying. The evidence that you're a follower of Jesus, that you believe in him, that you've committed to following him, is that you love God with all that you are. That, that it's not lip service love, but, but rather that you're fully committed to following him. A, a love that loves God and loves other people. We're talking about a love that commits not only all that one is, but all that one has in this life to God's purposes, loving him with everything. Now, that person pressed Jesus and said, all right, love my neighbor as myself. Who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus goes into the story that we've come to call the Good Samaritan. A traveler's robbed and beaten and left for dead. And as he lay there, respected religious leaders of the Jewish community walked by and didn't help the dying traveler. But a Samaritan came by. And it's important for us to remember that a Samaritan would have been considered a cultural enemy of the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to. And yet, this Samaritan helped and saved this Jewish traveler. As Jesus brought that story to a climax, he turned to the person who had been asking him all these questions and he asked him a question. He said, which of these three people was a real neighbor to the man who was beaten up and robbed? That person answered, the one who showed pity. And then Jesus responded, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. If we believe that Jesus lives, then we'll be committed to him and to follow him and to go and live our lives the way he would live our lives. Now, people sometimes ask me if I can give them an assurance of salvation, and I can. Uh, while the Bible is clear that we're saved by faith, having faith means we're committed to following Jesus and doing the same things that he would do. So if he's changed you from being self-centered to being God-centered and loving God with all that you are, that's the evidence. Because he lives... This life is not the end. If you truly believe in Jesus and accept his forgiveness for your sins, then you're forgiven, you're free from the power of sin and death, and you have eternal life. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, having forgiveness starts with repentance. So I'm going to move into a, a time of prayer and I'm going to invite anybody who's never told Jesus that they believe in him and want to follow him, and that they commit to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to do that. And then I'm going to pray for us that we can walk in that truth. But the important piece is I'm going to give all of us an opportunity 
to repent, to confess our sins and, and turn away from that sinful behavior. And as I pray, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. Father, as we gather here in this place today and, and we've learned about the forgiveness that you give us through faith in Jesus and the freedom that you give us and the promise of eternal life that you've guaranteed us, we recognize that it calls for a response. And the first response is if, if anybody's never believed in Jesus, this is your opportunity to tell them you believe in him and want to follow him. So I'm going to just give you some words to pray silently wherever you are. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I confess my sins and ask for his forgiveness. And now I desire to follow him all the days of my life. And we'll say amen to that prayer. But Lord, I also want to move into a time where I give all of us the opportunity in this silence to repent of our own sinful, self-centered behavior. So Lord, hear our silent prayers as we ask for forgiveness for our own sins. So go ahead and pray in silence. God, we thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just, you forgive us, you purify us. So Lord, now we want to walk in that truth as your sons and daughters who believe in you and commit our lives to loving you with all that we are and loving others as we love ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.